Have you ever found yourself in the middle of an international incident at the height of the Cold War? Well, my guest today almost did. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Two people have a great story to tell are Doug and Kim White of Lombard, Illinois, not too far from me. The couple said they missed the experience of eating out when the coronavirus led to dining rooms being closed. Getting takeout just didn't offer the same experience for them. So in October, they converted the back of their transit van into a miniature dining room. Doug said the dining room cost about $100 to put together, so not bad at all. The couple has since been visiting all of their favorite restaurants in the area and having plated food delivered to them in the back of the van. See, this is what we do in America. We adapt and overcome. Of course, you'd already be aware of Kim and Doug White if you had gone to KeithConradMedia.com and signed up for my free email newsletter, The News SideQuest. Every weekday, you'll get a handful of entertaining stories just like that one. You might call them the greatest stories ever emailed. I wouldn't, but you could. Also, please rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to help more people find my plucky little podcast. My guest today is the co-host of the Minutia Men podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. He's the author of several books, including Severance and Every Cub Ever, which is a book that absolutely delivers what it promises. Plus, he's a publisher at Eckhart's Press, where, by the way, you can also find my debut novel, Righteous Might. Rick Kempfer, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, happy to do it. Now, not to give my age away too much, but, um, you know, I, I was, uh, I think I was in third grade when the, uh, when the wall came down in, uh, in Berlin. And, and so, like, I don't have the, exactly the same memories of the Cold War that, uh, that a lot of other people do. Uh, but, but, you know, still, like, I, I realized, even though I was a youngin, I realized that was a significant event, but you were actually there when the wall came down. I was. I was, I, I was, I went to, uh, get pieces of the wall cause, uh, when I had a, I had a history with Berlin. I, it was a, a really important uh, city in my life. Um, and you know, that's one of the reasons I'm on with you is to tell you the story of what happened there. But, um, at the time the wall came down, it was the biggest story in my lifetime. It was just gigantic. I mean, we were, it was like, winning the cold war uh that was the symbolism of what that meant at that time yeah and i think even though i was really young at the time i knew uh i knew it was uh really significant um you know even i i wouldn't say it was the biggest uh biggest story going on because i i think it was it was roughly at about the same time as as the first gulf war so i think like that, that for some reason, that one hit me personally a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Like I, I was so young when that happened that uh, I was actually worried about like, you know, the Iraqi military coming to Alabama and like invading our yard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. That Plus it was on TV. It was, uh, you know, a war on TV. It, it it was yeah. So did did you actually see David Hasselhoff like when the wall was coming down? Or, or was it, was it, was I, I did, no, I did not. Um, but you know, as I, I'm a German, so you know my family were immigrants uh, 
first generation, uh, came here in the 1950s. I'm born in 63 um, in Chicago, but uh, my parents were both German immigrants and they had just been here briefly, you know, I think five, six years before I was born. So I grew up in a house where we didn't even speak English. And then when I was about 10 years old, we moved back to Germany. My father was then working for the Department of Defense. So living in Germany during the Cold War, it was a very scary time. I mean, there were uh, roaming bands of uh, assassins and uh, and terrorists killing Americans. Um, there was a uh, a bomb placed in the uh, the building that my father had lunch in every day, and for one for one reason or another, he couldn't make it that day, and the bomb blew up and blew up many of his colleagues. That's, oh, wow. That's how real the Cold War was to us. I mean, it was uh, – there were bomb threats all the time in my junior high school, my high school. Um, we were scared. And when you went to um, Berlin in those days, Berlin was broken up into four parts, as probably most people know. And mm-hmm. you had to drive through um, East Germany to get to West Berlin because it was in the middle of the country. And you, you didn't drive there. You took the train. That was the only way to really get there. And on the train, they would stop. And you often had to stop in the middle of the night. And the Russian soldiers would come on to your train and they would search all of your belongings, um, you know, in the train car. So on the way there, you knew you were going to somewhere that was, uh, you know, exotic to say the least. Mm-hmm. So, so Berlin, um, you know, like I, 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 that was, that was part of West Germany, even though it was in East Germany or was it like a Singapore sort of thing where it was, it was all on its own. Right. No, West. Yeah, no, it was part of, it was part of West Germany, but the capital was not in Berlin at that time. The capital was in Bonn. Mm-hmm. It, it, that was the West German capital, and uh, I think it just would have been awkward to have like all the uh, all the members of the German uh, legislature like searched every time they had to go into the capital. It, it was weird, you know. Uh, it, it it's it's almost impossible to describe how strange it was. I was telling you before we started taping that the streetcar lines in in uh, West Berlin were, you know, it was top of the line. Everything was rebuilt after the war. It was beautiful. But, um, you know, the wall didn't go up immediately. So you could see where the streetcar lines went into East Germany um, by the fact that they were abandoned. Uh, You know, weeds were coming through. Nobody used that part. It was like this train to nowhere. Yeah, and you know, my only experience with that is is literally seeing the you know the the Tom Hanks Steven Spielberg movie uh, Bridge of Spies. And, right. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much it changed between you know between uh, you know what the the early 1960s and and when you were there, but uh, it wasn't a pretty picture then. No, I you know my first time seeing Berlin, uh, West Berlin, was with the Boy Scouts on a camping trip. They, we went there to West Berlin and we camped near the wall. So we, that's when I started hearing the stories of, 
you know, the snipers and the landmines and you go to Checkpoint Charlie and you see, um, you know, there was a history of everybody who had tried to escape, you know, underneath the cars and, you know, tied, you know, uh, on roof, roofs of cars and digging tunnels and everything. And it really was a scary place. But when you walked along the wall, and this is what happened on the day that, that this story takes place, when you walk along the wall, you could see the soldiers marching back and forth, manning the wall on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, looking for people that were going to try to climb the wall. And they they would shoot people dead trying to escape. Even after you made it over the wall, there was a little uh, a river there. If you did not make it across that river, they could shoot you in the river. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that uh, you were... They felt comfortable having you camp on the West German side of right. the wall because yes. not many people were trying to escape from the West German side into the East German side. Right. It was like a history lesson for us uh, just to see what was going on there. But even on the West side, you could it it was scary. You know, I was like 12 years old. Um, it was scary for a 12-year-old for sure. Yeah, Um yeah, like I said, you know, when when the wall came down, I I think it was in third grade, and uh, I remember very clearly uh, my third grade teacher. I won't mention her name just because uh, I don't want to incriminate her in anything. Yeah. But uh, this was obviously the biggest story anybody was talking about in the world, you know, at that particular moment. And uh, she informed our class that uh, you know they were reuniting Germany. And this was something to be scared of because the whole reason Germany was split up was because uh, every time the Germans get together, something bad happens. And that was why we decided to keep them separately. And obviously, uh, years later, I learned that was not true. No. Actually, probably <laughs> months later, I learned that was not true. <laughs> yeah, no, that, uh, that, was not, that was not true. Yeah. Uh, so your story is... Um, is uh, basically your run-in with the East German secret police. That's what it is, yes. So, all right. So uh, uh, now that you have the background of uh, my family, uh, my father was uh, uh, an employee for the Department of Defense. He worked with the Army Corps of Engineers. But he also would translate um, for the generals. One of the generals he translated for was Al Haig. Oh, wow. He'd go to uh, uh, Army headquarters. He'd go to... uh, uh, you know, uh, NATO headquarters, and he he did he dealt with the generals a lot. We had se- several different kinds of identification. One was just a no- normal U.S. passport and a U.S. Uh, you know identity card, and then there was a our uh, like um, diplomatic passport, and then there was the one that said uh, that my dad worked for the Department of Defense. And my dad said to me, before we went to visit my uncle who lived in East Berlin, he said to me, whatever you do, don't bring that one. Don't bring that one because we have to go through, you know, the Checkpoint Charlie and everything. And I thought, you know, what's, I mean, really, even though I was scared of what was going on there, I thought they're not gonna search a 12 year old kid. I I really didn't think it was that important. which is unbelievably stupid in retrospect. I have no idea what I was thinking. Well, not for a 12, 13-year-old. Yeah. That seems about right. Yeah. So we go through the checkpoint, 
uh, Checkpoint Charlie. And, you know, as we're uh, in line, I see these, uh, you know, the, the German secret police, uh, the East German secret police, and they looked scary. You know, they weren't quite wearing monocles, but... Uh, <laughs> monocles, those hats with the big spike on the top. <laughs> right. They weren't wearing those, but it looked they looked like Nazis to me. You know, they looked very scary. And well, um, I think the budget in East Germany was so uh, small that they were actually just reusing the Nazi uniforms. Probably. Probably. Um, but, you know, they were searching very thoroughly. And sure enough, they did search 12 and 13 year old kids. And sure enough, they found my ID card that said my father worked for the Department of Defense. And so they separated us and um, and questioned my father. Uh, you know, I'd say interrogate, but it was it was really more questioning him about who he was and where he was and what he did. And because I was separated off by myself, I was, of course, crying like a like a baby. <laughs> you know, I'm like I'm planning uh, my, the rest of my life in an East German prison. Um, but I don't know how long I was. We were separated, and they finally came out and got my and my father said, "All right, they're going to let us go." But what they did was they followed us with. Um, the secret police followed us wherever we went, and so did the Russian soldiers. And we had lunch with my my uncle, my mom's my mom's uncle, at a restaurant in East Berlin. And my my uncle was a uh, uh, a professor at the university, and he said, "You realize this is going to I'm marked now as someone that they're going to keep an eye on." You realize that, right? And all of the people, like the waiter would come over and take our order and he and and my uncle would make us shut up when he came over there and he'd say, That guy's a spy. That guy over there, the bartender, he's a spy. You know, everybody here, they all tell on each other, everything is uh, you cannot trust anyone. And we'd walk out onto the streets and and Russian soldiers were following us wherever we went. It was now, scary. Was Time, was this the first time you had met this relative? So that's literally like your his yeah. introduction to you. Yep, first time I met him, and the last time I've I've never seen him since. I <laughs> he's passed away since. Uh, he did I he did live long enough to see the wall come down because that was I think fifteen years later or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was the scariest day of my life. I, it it sounds like it would be up there, like I, you know, the the, the you know, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, plenty of chapters left uh, to write, but uh, I would imagine that uh, it, it'll be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully, my remaining chapters do not involve the uh, East German secret police. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. <laughs> you uh, know, it's I I don't think I, I'm even explaining how scary it was because these. Uh, you know, these these guys could have put us in prison and there was nothing that we could have done. You know, we had no right. defense that, that once we got into East Germany, we had no protections of any kind. And they knew yeah. that my father worked for the U.S. government. You know, if, if somebody wanted to go rogue and uh, throw us in jail or whatever, in, in retrospect, it's even scarier. And, you know, my. My father, to his credit, never uh, never yelled at me about it. But later on, like ten years later, 
he explained the situation to me, that part where I hadn't realized how much danger we were in Mm -hmm. and what kind of danger we put my mother's uncle in. Um, Luckily, they didn't imprison him or anything, but uh, that was... We brought a bunch of contraband in with us, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I could just see, you know, your your mother's uncle being like, you know, because I, I remember a, a couple of years ago, I met some uh, some very distant relatives who who actually, you know, lived in Canada. And, um, you know, they're like, you know, fourth cousins or or, or something like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, so we've, we've literally met them once and spoken to them once and that's it. And so like, I, I just imagine him being in that exact same situation and I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I I just had to meet my American relatives. Right. Exactly. You know, it was his, his, uh, his favorite sister, his little sister's, uh, daughter, you know, so he really wanted to meet my mom. Um, but, uh, we certainly came with it a lot of baggage <laughs> <laughs> and the baggage was filled with contraband. It was, we brought cigarettes and we brought uh, Levi jeans, but oh, we wow. couldn't, we couldn't give it to them because they were watching us the whole time. <laughs> well, at least uh, at this point, uh, you could, if you went back there. That's right. That's right. And now they, I, my doctor, uh, I just came back from East Berlin and he told me that the uh, art world there is really thriving. That uh, you know, it's like um, it's like a you know going into a uh, like Bucktown or something in Chicago. Like the artsiest neighborhoods are in the old uh, in the old East Berlin. Uh, yeah, that 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 kind of makes sense because it would be the sort of like uh, untilled ground to to move in and and right build. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I think that's probably la- last week's guest almost drowned, but I think, I think <laughs> you may have the, the scariest story. So th- thanks so much for sharing your story, Rick. Happy to do it. Thanks. Thanks for writing a great book called Righteous Might, available now on Eckhart's Press. If you think you can top Rick's story, well, first of all, if you can, you're probably Gary Francis Powers or served on the U.S. Pueblo or something. But if you think you can, shoot me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com. Cabotron.